Welcome to Top Advisor Marketing, where you will learn how to become a prolific online influencer, attract more ideal clients, and grow your practice. Brought to you by Top Advisor Podcasting, a done-for-you podcasting solution built just for trusted advisors. And now, your co-hosts of Top Advisor Marketing, Kirk Lowe and Matt Halloran. Hello and welcome to part three of our special podcast with Laura Gregg, Senior Vice President and Director of Practice Management and Advisor Research at FlexShares Exchange Traded Funds, and David Partain, CMO of FlexShares Exchange Traded Funds. Now, the first two podcasts really broke down this new paper that they had that just came out, uh, but today uh, we're going to dive into some calls to action, some things you can change as an advisor, some stereotypes that need to be busted, but I want to start off by talking about assumptions. We've kind of wiggled our way through some of the assumptions that advisors have had about men and women, especially high net worth. What are some of the assumptions that you want to address on this one? Well, uh, yeah, I think the the idea of making assumptions, you know, we all do it, right? Um, yeah. I, all, I joke with David that some of my best friends are the ones when I met them, I assumed I would never get along with. <laughs> college roommate, you know, maybe even my husband. But <laughs> and she hated me when we first met. Ah, well, there we go. No, but, but it's just human nature to make assumptions based on your life and your background and whatnot. But, you know, in our business, Matt, in, in an advisory business, making the wrong assumptions can really, really hurt the bottom line. And I'll give you a real world example of that. Um, some years ago, my husband and I decided it was way past time uh, to hire a financial advisor. So uh, it was one of those New Year's resolutions thing where I said, we got to get this you know, together, my gosh. And so we talked to family, friends, some colleagues. You know, I'd been in the industry at that point for probably over 10 years and uh, came up with three advisors that you know thought would be a good fit for us. So the first two advisors we went to go see, and, and I ran these conversations with, this is what I do. I work for a large asset manager. I have my Series 7. So, like, put that out there because mm-hmm. we needed to understand who we could clear through. So, in the first two meetings, um, kind of went like this. Bob and I went in. We said, this is how much we have invested. This is how much we have saved. We've got three small kids. We take care of two adults, dependent adults from a financial standpoint, and this is what we do. And the advisors told us about their years of experience, their acumen, so on and so forth. Um, you know, not a big surprise there, right? And then, um, you yeah, that took maybe 20 minutes. And then there was a shift. And the advisor started talking to my husband. Wanted to know more about his job, who his clients were. He was traveling a lot at the time. Oh, did he like golf? Yeah. Oh, he golfed the old course at St. Andrews. That uh, How was that? And it went on and on and on. And, you know, get my husband talking about golf, and that, that will go on. But, <laughs> but it continued, and I just sat there and was quiet and looked around. And we left, and I said to Bob, do I look invisible? Because that's exactly how he made me feel. So when it was time to do our third interview, cold and snowy day, January, Chicago, you know, the very last thing I wanted to do on a Saturday morning was, you know, get the kids up, get them dressed, haul them over to grandma's and go downtown. But um, we did. I knew, you know, we needed to find somebody. And um, so I went into Rick's office and something remarkable happened. Rick talked to both of us. Oh, my gosh. He asked both of us 
about our careers, our aspirations, what was working, what wasn't, asked us about our family, asked us about the dependent adults we took care of, really got to know us personally, told us about him and his children and what they were doing and how he planned for college and and all of that. And and then, you know, of course, we talked about what we had saved and, and all of that. But um, we left. But before we left, we decided we were going to do business with him. Mm. It just, you know, shows you how still to this day, despite my telling these advisors that I was in the business, they still looked to my husband as the one who was interested and knowledgeable in investments, which was exactly wrong. They looked to him. I mean, he's a he's he's got passion on a lot of things, but investments is not one of those mm. things. Looked to him as if he was the primary financial decision maker in our, our household. And again, that's not him. But they didn't take the time to understand that. They didn't ask any relevant questions. They just led with assumptions. And so they never had a chance to get our business. Mm. You know, and that plays into the, the survey where we talked about, you know, women are not interested. This stereotype is women are not interested, and they are less confident than men about their investment in financial managers and in financial management itself. And that just, we found, is not um, not necessarily true. I mean, with financial acumen on a 10-point scale, men were 8.6, women 7.8. That's, that's not that far off. And then you have investment knowledge itself. As we mentioned last podcast, men are way off the charts in trying to prove how good they are. We talked about why that may be. But there's also men at 93%, women at 63%, So they, but they want to be educated. And if you don't talk to them, if you assume the man knows, knows it all, the woman is going to leave that meeting and go, they did not talk to me. They did not tell me. I didn't understand a thing. And I could see my wife leaving an advisor meeting that went like that and going, I still don't know anything that I did when I went in there. And I've been in the business, you've been in the business for a long time. Our spouses actually do want to know, but they want to be talked to as equals with the other press spouse. Right. And, you know, some of the things we, when we're talking to advisors, um, some of the suggestions we put out there for consideration is, you know, as you're as you're meeting a new couple, if they've signed on with you, find a way to get input from them separately. Whether, you know, put together a real super simple um, list of the financial planning topics that you think are relevant and important for that couple. Have them fill it out separately. If they do it as a joint thing, one, maybe the woman, maybe the man, will will lead what the answers are. And then that'll give you a sense of where you need to fill in the knowledge gaps. And it'll give you the opportunity to be creative on how you do that. Mm-hmm. You don't need to identify that Sarah didn't know anything about this, but John, you were rated yourself an expert. I, you know, obviously you're not going to do that, but you can be creative on how you have those discussions. And you know, as, as far as it is related to the men thinking they are experts on investment management, again, you, you know, you never want to be adversarial in these conversations, but you want to get out what they really know. And so, some of the questions we suggest is. You know, I, I see, you know, you really understand investments. That's awesome. It's going to make our relationship stronger. So tell me a little bit about what your go-to source is for equity research. How much time, you know, did, have you managed your own portfolio in the past? And then, you know, if the answer is yes, 
Great, great. So, you know, what are the things most important to you when I'm managing your portfolio? And just so I get a sense, how much time did you end up spending on rebalancing and reallocating? And I think by asking these questions in a in a uh, curious way, mm-hmm. you might find and they might realize that maybe they weren't really managing their portfolio with the expertise they thought that they were. And that's where you can really show your value because you're thinking about those things. Yeah, and one of the ways we've seen, even at Northern Trust, is advisors, when they speak about percentages and performance, sometimes the spouse who's not interested, male or female, their eyes glaze over. But talking about goals and how to fund those specific goals, has it, we've actually seen the women participate more in a relationship, especially if it's a long-time relationship with the advisor where they've basically been male-to-male. The women will actually begin to want to know and understand, well, how are you funding our daughter's wedding? How is How are our investments doing with that vacation home? Or pick any goal you want. How We've had... Investors who had children say that needed um, special attention after they pass on or even right now. And how are they going to do that in retirement? And so those conversations are what really get the women involved in the financial plan. Sure. Well, let's talk about stereotypes. We were talking a lot about stereotypes. Let's keep talking about these because... I think this is one of the biggest eye-opening aspects of the study is is what stereotypes did this bust and then how can advisors change their conversation, much like we've already talked about just a smidge, to make it so that their conversations are deeper, more valuable, and stickier. Well, one of the stereotypes, another of the stereotypes, women are afraid of risk and invest more conservatively than men. And when we first came out with this stat, I was talking to Laura and I said, Laura, why why would this be? Why would these particular women want to uh, invest more aggressively than men? And you had several great points that you made about how women who have taken on that risk themselves in their career and taken that risk on themselves, they believe in themselves. Entrepreneurs. Yes. Especially entrepreneurs that were in our study. They've taken that risk. They've become an executive. And so assuming that they would do the same thing as the stereotype, not be to be risk averse, you're really looking at them wrong because in their personal life, they're actually not, I wouldn't say riskier is the term, mm-hmm. but they are willing to take a risk on themselves. And they, they just want to understand the risks that they're taking so that they can be compensated for that risk. And I think that, David, that goes back to what you were saying earlier on, you know, understanding what you as an advisor is doing in terms of making sure that the the family can give their daughter the wedding of her dreams or that their special needs child will be cared for after passing. Um, again, it's not dollars and cents. Right. It's, you know, if you frame it as, you know, we're, we need to do this, it's 10 years out, 15 years out, and and to grow assets at that point, you need to be invested in a certain way. Again, they just need, anybody really, just needs to understand what's involved. And then I think, you know, smart people are willing to take those risks. Yeah. 
Well, let's continue with uh, some of the other action items, right? So I was super excited about uh, this episode because uh, you did come up with some considerations of some things that advisors should think about when they're talking to this demographic, which were high net worth male and female uh, people, right, mm-hmm. um, who you guys took as as the, the core base of this survey. And they are, again, primary breadwinners. Primary breadwinners. Thank is, you. is an important point. And so... Like if we continue the discussion of risk, um, you know, it, everybody does the standard risk questionnaire, and you should, and that's appropriate. However, you know, we really advise advisors to think beyond that risk questionnaire. Mm. The way things are worded don't necessarily elicit the the responses that you really need to be the fiduciary you want to be for these people. Um, you know, as we talked about in the last uh, podcast. Losing 10%, everybody can maybe handle that, but if that 10% is $50,000, $100,000, it's a whole different story. And, and I also suggest, you know, continue that line of questioning. What if there's a market downturn? Now, remember, we're 11 years into a bull market. Yeah, you know, it, it will happen at some point, hopefully not for a while, but when it happens, people will lose real dollars. Talk to them about those real dollars, not in percentage terms, but in dollars, and then Pile on. Okay, what if the market turns south next year or the year after and you lose $50,000? What if then there is an unexpected expense? Yeah, your car breaks down. Your car breaks down. Or, you know, for other people, you become ill. Yeah. Um, Or whatever it is, your child becomes ill. They need help. And then what if one of you loses your job? I mean, that's a real consideration in a market downturn. So it's not just the losing 10% or the $50,000. It's the domino effect. What happens during those times of, of stress and how, you know, the answers that you're going to get if you, if you just wait and pause and let your clients talk will be more revealing than anything you'll get from a standard risk questionnaire. And, you know, always ask the question, tell me more. Mm-hmm. And, and then pause. And it's risk under stress as opposed to risk when there is no stress. And both those ways you have to service the client. Like for the last 11 years, it's probably been a lot of less of risk under stress. But there is going to come a point where there is stress. And all of us, unfortunately, layoffs or a sick child or you could ill yourself, as Laura mentioned, they all play a fact, and that's when stress comes in. And you as an advisor need to know, number one, how they feel about their their relationship to you, how they feel about their relationship to money, and how you should now relate to them in the communication style you should use if that risk-stress balance changes. Yeah, and, and I would also suggest talk about the, the, the goals that they have that they could foresee putting off in a time of stress. What is easy for them to imagine waiting another five years or so and what things they cannot live without if they've been saving for that vacation home and they're almost there and then all of this happens, what does that do? How does it all come into play together? And and that I think is you know where advisors can add true value. My grandmother said, you have two ears and one mouth. You're supposed to listen twice as much as you talk. And, you know, it's funny thinking back to her saying that when I was knee-high to a grasshopper. But that's really important here. And I love the open-ended questions. Uh, It goes absolutely against what most advisors have been taught, which is never ask a question you don't know the answer to. Because from a sales perspective, right, 
man, you know, that can be a black hole. But here, it's really truly a way to build a relationship. And then finally, just and again, just shut up, right? Let the people talk. We know that it takes about five to seven seconds for somebody to process all the information that just came out of their mouth. Give them that five to seven seconds. And if you do it enough and say, tell me more or mm-hmm, um, which are those nonverbal kind of conversation continuation techniques, oh my goodness gracious, you're finally going to get to the nuts and bolts of what their concerns are. And that's going to bust even more assumptions. And, you know, Matt, I'll just add on to this. We're, we're in this period of, of massive disintermediation. And the big companies, Vanguard, Fidelity, TD Ameritrade, they've got these phenomenal digital advice platforms. But guess what? <laughs> They're adding humans to it. They are. So people are with you as an advisor because they want a person so give them that relationship. It's not just about investments. And the more that you think that it is, the more clients you'll lose to other advisors or the big platforms. Yeah. Now, after reading the results and interviewing you guys for the last two podcasts, um, a part of me has really just wanted to grab advisors by the shoulders and shake them back and forth and say, oh, my gosh, you need to listen to this and make some changes. How can you... Or how can advisors or how can anybody use the results of this survey to start changing the paradigm that we live in right now? Well, again, you know, not to beat a dead horse, but I I think what all of these these stereotypes or myths or whatever you want to call them, it it was based on an industry that thinks one size fits all. 60-40 portfolios make sense for everybody. It's it is not that anymore. And again, you know, I talked about disintermediation and all the digital advice platforms. For the people that want to do their own investments, that that's really easy to do and it's really cheap. Yeah. And we know about fee compression and you know, I think it's gone down to, you know, twenty percent in the last ten years. People are advisors are getting only, you know, maybe ninety five basis points these days. And, you know, assets, asset growth is declining. Your fees are going to continue to go down. So what are you going to do to keep your clients? And it's got to be the relationship building. It's got to be the listening and presenting different ways of thinking. And one one of the the things that we're really passionate here at FlexShares about is sustainable investing, or Mm -hmm. ESG. And I think in the last podcast we said that um, while women are very interested in ESG, men are a little bit more a little bit more interested in it. You know, again, and we think ESG, environmental, social, and governance screens are just going to be the way that investments are selected in the future. But if you haven't already, make sure you're bringing this up with your clients, especially these high net worth wealth creators, Mm -hmm. because chances are they are already very familiar with them. And, you know, when you bring it up, make sure you're familiar with them. And unfortunately, I still talk to a lot of advisors who think about it as a, a way to lose return potential. Hmm. And, and I'll give you an example. And by the way, we don't think that at all. We think it's a great core mm-hmm. to your portfolio. And we've got a couple ETFs, ESG and ESGG, that, that focus on that. But um, my uh, nephew and his wife are millennials in every sense of the word. <laughs> um, they're wonderful. They, you know, Adam rides his bike to work every day. He he works in municipal planning in, in uh, Columbus, Ohio. He rides his bike. They 
they had a house, they sold it because it was just a waste of space. And so they, you know, moved into a much smaller spot. They've got two small children. We're not allowed to buy those kids anything that's new Mm. because it's, you know, you can buy it at the secondhand store and then we're not hurting the environment. So these are the type of people I'm talking about. And they decided a few years ago to take a sabbatical. They went to Portland, not surprisingly for millennials, uh, but they went there to um, to build a charity organization. They had an outpost in Columbus. They wanted to do the same out in Portland, and, and they're very responsible. They went to their financial advisor, and, and these are people with assets. Unfortunately, Julie's parents both passed, and so unfortunately, they have a lot of assets um, from that wealth transfer. But they did the right thing. They talked to their advisor. He figured out, you know, they should rent their place in Ohio while they went out to Portland and gave them a lot of great advice. When they came back, I was really excited to hear about it. I'm like, tell me everything. And, you know, oh, by the way, what what ESG or what sustainable investments do you have? And their faces drained. And they looked at me and they said, well, you know, we've we've kind of brought it up to... Don a couple times and you know he tells us that he can't he can't do it in good faith because we would lose money oh. and that it would not be a good thing for him to do and so Aunt Laura went a little bit crazy <laughs> but we started an education program right there mm-hmm. and then and bottom line is they are not with that advice yeah. any longer and uh, it was a it was a miss on his part but especially when they asked him about it, uh, and then not to be educated. So again, make sure you're talking to your clients about this proactively. Don't wait for them to ask. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm still wrapping my brain around ESG versus SRI. Would you guys mind just helping the understanding of that a little bit? Because it seems people use those words interchangeably, and they're not entirely interchangeable. So yeah, I, I I agree, Matt. And I think here in the United States, it is an issue of definition. Okay. We have not arrived at a standard definition as even as a society. I think over in Europe, where ESG investing has grown substantially over the last decade, we are we are seeing some growth here in the U.S., but not at the the rate that they have seen over there. And principally, it's because people don't know exactly what it is, and we have. Other resources on uh, flexures.com that provide this type of how do you talk about ESG with your clients. And Laura uh, worked with our ESG expert here to kind of put a paper together that frames it out between ESG and SRI. What did you learn? Yeah, so we really think of this as a continuum. Um, And, you know, there's, there's, SRI uh, that's still live and well, and there's a place for it and for some investors. And socially responsible responsible investing, which can be viewed as exclusionary. Mm-hmm. Take out any oil companies, tobacco guns, whatever it is. And then as you kind of continue down the spectrum, you bump into ESG, environmental, social, and governance. And, and this is a more, I guess, a commercial way of doing it. I, I don't know if that's the right term, but it, it's a screening. Uh, it's not exclusionary, but it screens for the companies that have high uh, environmental ratings or high social ratings or high governance ratings. And to be put into a portfolio, you 
don't necessarily have to be the best on every single one of those screens, mm-hmm. but you have to have a, a bias and a good track record on part or all of them. So each asset manager defines that differently. But the bottom line is you're, you're screening out the companies that are not thinking of what they're doing to the environment mm. or not thinking about their their policies for hiring and firing. And, and in, in essence, the, those companies that may have, if they're not thinking about those things, more risk coming sure. their way through litigation or whatever, or, or just headline risk, if you, you know, yeah. think about some of the things that happen with uh, oil spills and not. And then, of course, you go down the continuum and, and there's impact investing. That's mm-hmm. where you choose something that you really want to have an impact on. And it may be that your investment managers are lobbying um, to make changes in certain companies. So there's a there's a long continuum. And, and, you know, for each investor, it's a little bit different what's appropriate. But you can find that if you go to go.flexshares.com backslash learn hyphen ESG. And I hope you'll put that yeah, in the Yeah, we're, we're definitely going to put that. I'm hoping nobody's writing that down when they're driving. But we'll put that in the show notes. Yeah, but, but the thing is be first. Sure. Be first to talk about this with your clients and especially your executive clients. Mm-hmm. They're they're on boards, they're seniors in their companies and and so many companies have these mandates anyhow. Mm-hmm. They get it. And they're probably wondering why you haven't talked about it if you haven't already. I love that. I love that this report, this study specifically highlights the fact that these primary breadwinner high net worth men and women already know about it. And if you do bring it, and here, here's the best part about it, so I'm going to give you a little bit of a script, is, oh my gosh, I just downloaded this amazing paper on ESG, and I immediately thought of you. I would love for you to come on in and let me walk you through these options that we now have. Everybody, I just met with an advisor this morning. He's like, Matt, what do I call my clients about? Right? And I hear this question, I've called this all, you know, for 15 years. You know, I, I need to feel like I need a, a reason to call my clients. Download this paper. Download the other stuff that's on this website. There are talking points on talking points here that are going to get your clients' attention and show that, one, you care, and two, the best thing in the world is that you're thinking about them. All right. What else do we need to know about this paper uh, before we wrap up today's podcast? I guess one of the, the other areas that we've talked about is on the client experience and We've recently released another paper on how to create extraordinary client experiences written by actually the individual within our firm who creates our extraordinary uh, advisor experiences for us. And Stephanie and Laura both uh, collaborated on this paper. And I was just thinking through uh, something that advisors, my brother-in-law is an advisor out in Arizona, and he inherited his book from his dad. Mm. And... He had worked there a couple years, but he really didn't know the clients when his dad, unfortunately, passed away at his desk. Mm. And so it was a sudden transformation. The clients are that his dad had were his dad's age. And so he was now having to not only get to know an older generation than him, but the generation that followed. And so it was really important to him. And I remember him saying to me, my admin at the front desk, she has to, when they walk in, treat them like, Oh, long-lost friends. Not just the long-lost friends, the older clientele, but the new ones that are coming in. Mm -hmm. Oh, my goodness, so glad to meet you. Because you can hear it, whether it's in person, you can see it in their eyes, or you can hear it on the phone when they don't really know. So how that person addresses somebody that walks through the door 
is the start of that whole journey and is very important. Yeah. And so you've led me to a shameless plug. I hope that this is okay. <laughs> it's but, totally uh, okay. Plug away. We are wrapping up another very unique, uh, unique to this research project on uh, team building, multi-generational and diverse teams. Now, we know about the shortage of advisors coming. We know that advisors are trying to sell their business. That becomes a lot more complex when uh, you have a practice like your brother did with uh, older people and an older staff. And so we're really excited. We're uh, we were talking to advisors as well as investors to understand from the investor standpoint, does it matter if the person across the desk from you is the same age? Do they look like you? What are you looking for with an advisor? And from an advisor standpoint, I mean, I hear all the time, stop telling me I need to hire millennials. I get it. I just can't find any. And when I do, they don't stay. So we hope that we'll have some uh, interesting research results. We hope that we'll have items that are going to help other advisors figure out how to find and attract the right talent and move their business forward. And that's part of that study. But we all have also done a study on advisor wellness. Mm. And one of the areas that millennials have looked at this business and said, wow, it's really stressful. I don't want to be in this business. But if you... What I've told advisors when I've spoken on the topic is let them go work for one of these uh, high-flying tech firms <laughs> for 20-hour 20 yeah. 20 days. They'll really learn what stress is mm-hmm. and then go recruit them. After they've been in there five years, go recruit them because that's when they're going to appreciate the benefits of independence and in, uh, the interaction between them and how they can get connected ultimately with their client if they do it well. I talk to uh, kids all the time because of my children, and they'll ask me, you know, you know, what do you do or whatever, and I say, it doesn't matter what I do. This is what you should do. And I was like, you need to start studying finance, and you know, you you need to go get a degree in finance, uh, and then you need to take your Series Seven and your blah blah blah, and you're 65, and they're like, wow, that's really detailed. I was look, here's the deal: for every three advisors that are retiring, there's only one coming up through the pipeline to replace them, and that's only going to get worse. So thank you guys so much for all the wonderful research that you do. Um, Remember, I want everybody to go to flexshares.com forward slash insights because there's all sorts of magnificent information on here. And we're also going to have some super uh, direct links to some of the papers that everybody talked about today. So Laura Gregg, Senior Vice President of Director of Practice Management and Advisor Research at Flexshares Exchange Traded Funds. It's a really long title. And David Bardeen, the CMO of FlexShares Exchange Traded Funds. Guys, thank you very much for doing this three-part study or this three-part podcast and the study. And I can't wait to talk to you guys more about your great research. Thank you. Thank you, Matt. Please make sure that you check out the show notes so that you can find out more information about what they do at FlexShares Exchange Traded Funds for you as a financial services professional. It is important for you to always look at ways to sharpen your saw. And when you are on the cutting edge of research, it gives you a magnificent reason to call your clients and tell them what you just learned. So for everybody here at uh, Northern Trust and FlexShares, uh, this is Matt Hallard, and we'll see you on the other side of the mic very soon. Are you ready to change the way you communicate with your clients? Are you tired of being the best kept secret in your area? Learn how to become a prolific online influencer, attract more ideal clients, and grow your business. Contact us today and see what the power of podcasting can do for your business. Click on the Contact Us link on our website at topadvisormarketing.com and set up a call to learn more. Follow us on LinkedIn and Facebook for more updates and information. 
This was brought to you by iris.xyz, a platform helping financial professionals become better in business and life through new media and new voices. Visit them and learn more at iris.xyz.